adversarial inputs is another area that's different than a traditional application. So we've got a we've got a uh, model. It's out in production. Let's say it's running our e-commerce catalog and making product suggestions and so forth, and it's learning a, a bunch of things from the user input. Well, certain people have found out that you can give it bogus information. Now, an example of this is in facial recognition. There are uh, dazzle glasses, which are spectacles, not unlike my own, except I got LEDs around them. And those LEDs are flashing in a very staticky, noisy pattern. Uh, there are certain facial recognition algorithms that look at that and come up with the not hot dog answer, right? That's not even a person. So I'm not, I'm not even going to make a facial recognition evaluation on it. That adversarial input, uh, you can go online and buy these products. There are Dazzle t-shirts that will uh, make you be classified as not a person. Models, of course, are going to move on and be able to recognize those and see past them, but at least for the window of opportunity, being able to come up with these adversarial inputs and uh, fire that in, that's, uh, that's different than any traditional application. So you make me think about a couple of things. One is that these uh, development techniques right now are sort of as complicated in terms of effort as uh, mining gold. There's a big part of the value in gold that we get from the effort. It's a relatively consistent amount of effort, which is why gold has been something that's been super valuable for a long time. And I think we're seeing something like that around uh, AI, but it's uh, it takes so much effort and the tools that were have been used at least initially are, um, what's the opposite of granular, Mark? Ungranular. They're ungranular. Thank you. And so it's easy for uh, for things to go really wrong. And so, you know, we talk to our customers about software development evolving from big monolithic approaches to little tiny pieces. And in many ways, this is a lot like building and training an AI model. Every time I think about security and I feel like I'm learning something new, I realize I'm not because it all comes back to the same thing, which is defense in depth have a plan, understand what you're doing, you know, trust but verify and compare today with yesterday to make sure that something didn't change, right? So I just love that. But that's the methodology that we're starting to employ through our customers. What do you do uh, when you think about protecting models, Mark? Like, well, uh, well, kind of switching sides, I'll leave the layer here and I'll come, I'll come back into, you know, <laughs> into headquarters here. By the way, the, the the these special effects are just dazzling. The, the it's just really putting us ahead of the game here. Yeah. So you mentioned a good thing, and that is for each of these threats out there, um, what are what are people doing to protect against them? And you nailed you, you nailed a lot of them. The data set protection, making sure that you're getting data sets from verified. Uh, untampered, let's say, sources, that you're you're actually looking at the sample space that you're extracting and start running some uh, distribution analysis on it to make sure that you're getting representative data, but obviously model protection. And this kind of starts getting into a whole area that's top of mind, both for traditional apps and for AI, and that is the software supply chain. So having your, your models timestamped or even blockchained with an ID that says, this is this version, it has a checksum of this, this is what it looks like, and you can tell whether anyone's tampered with that at all, that's becoming highly critical.